Hey everybody, what's going on? Rob Sestrino back with you for the Amazing Race 35 Episode 3 Recap. And uh, it was a backdoor mega leg this week as we are continuing on racing here in Vietnam. And we'll talk about everything that went on here in this leg of the race here with my Amazing Race co-host. First, our chief Amazing Race correspondent back with us. Hopefully, uh, loving this classic airport drama. It's Jessica Lee's. Jess, how are you? I'm great, Rob. Uh, I took my shoes off. For yes, this, please. For this podcast. Put them in the plastic bag. Get, yep. Put them in the plastic bag. Yeah. All set, ready to record, ready to talk about 30 minutes of airport drama. If anybody's wondering what we're going to do to fill that 90 minute episode, you got your answer. Yes, you got your answer. And of course, back with us here, uh, his nickname is Pierre. Uh, it's Mike Bloom. Mike, how are you? It's because I'm just so good at French kissing. Whoa. Like a, my tongue is like a crepe, you. like as thin as a piece of rice paper. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, you know, it depends on the subject. Mm -hmm. it yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Subjective, right. All right. So uh, we are ready to talk about the amazing race. Uh, happy to be uh, back together with you both after last week. Thank you for filling in as I was uh, then in transit after my trip to uh, New York last week, but excited to talk about uh, this leg of the race and this fun group. Uh, okay, this was a, an episode where we talked a lot about, like, this is, like, old-school amazing race. Was it feeling old-school for you? Yeah, I felt like I had suddenly time-traveled. And, like, I, I felt like we were, it was, like, 2006 again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was, the only thing that makes this feel like it's not 2006 is the fact that I can you know, if I get six hours of sleep and then I try to watch The Amazing Race, I have no idea what happens. <laughs> so that's the main difference here. But honestly, what with the airport drama, the going to a travel agency to book your flight oh. like you were a caveman. Yeah. Um, the whole, all of a sudden there's a flight that nobody knew about that's going to get a bunch of teams in there in first place. I mean, that's like shades of Sharla and Myrna from All Stars. <laughs> I was I was pretty pumped to see that. And it's such a it can be such a drag if you have that if you have that airport drama breakdown every week. But when it comes back as a surprise and you haven't seen it for a long time, it's it's really yeah. cool to have. Can we just uh, reset? OK, so that it was the charter for the last couple seasons prior to that. But before that, what was the system? Amazing Race just booked a bunch of flights and then there mm -hmm. were. And, mm -hmm. and why did they change that, Mike? Uh, why did they change it back? Well, why did they change it in the first place? And why change it oh. back to not even what it was pre-COVID? Oh, because they don't trust these teams to book their own flights back in the day. Because teams would book flights that were six, eight hours behind everything else. And then the surprise of the eliminations ruined, yeah. right? Because at that moment, it's like Chester and Ifram, you're screwed basically from jump because you booked the wrong flight. So I think it's very much trying to keep the show on rails, even outside of like the elimination suspense, these tasks can only stay open for so long. And so you want to make sure that like everything is managed from that perspective as well. So it really was about team management. I still think there is a little bit of on rail stuff. Like obviously I think they planned a lot of the routes 
knowing that there were only a select amount of flights into Ho Chi Minh City to begin with. And they even still funneled it a bit with like the hours of operation, which was felt like another old school thing. I feel like especially since the COVID era where everything was so streamlined, we never really got any like huge blockages due to an hours of operation allowing people to stay overnight. But then it also incidentally produced this really interesting thing for half the teams left, which is the lack of sleep. Because that last flight arrived seemingly at 5 a.m. and the first time slot for the dock was 5.45 a.m. You have Steven and Ali finish in first place in this leg and haven't slept in at least 24 hours and they will continue to do so. So getting to see this mount already, I think to me makes up for the fact I really enjoyed this episode. And I will say this for the last time because I think the last thing that people want is to come onto a podcast and like hear someone complain about the same thing every week. Not us. That's just completely unoriginal. But like two tasks, really? I mean, they were entertaining tasks and we're probably going to get two more tasks next time. So it doesn't even feel like a mega leg. It just feels like one big leg stretched out across two episodes. I guess they're trying to use the 90 minutes to instead say, hey, we have 11 teams doing this. So we are padding the time out with that rather than more tasks. Hopefully that changes down the line. But my disappointment with the route that the show has done so far is made up for by the teams and in this case, a lot of the fun old school drama that resulted. Okay, so you feel like that the uh, incorporating the airport more is part of like, okay, well, it doesn't cost us any more money to include the airport stuff. That's just going to eat up more time in the episode and the fans like it. I mean, that's definitely a part of it. I would also say the market task was more complicated than your typical route info and could be seen as like, well, 11 teams are doing this and we want to show all 11 teams do it. And I feel like we really dug into that task a lot more than we usually do route infos, getting to see like every little foible that happened to a team along the way. I think what's really interesting is that we know that they shot this, this is what we are seeing is something that was shot out of sequence because Mm -hmm. there's a whole other season of Amazing Race that got shot before this that they put in the can because we got this directive to put 90 minute episodes. And what surprises me is that this is entirely an editing thing. Like it looks like it's the same exact amount of action. They just needed to edit it differently, which if we know from the jump before we film it that we're going to be having 90 minute episodes, why aren't they putting more stuff in there? And I, it seems to me that they must not have had the time to really think about what that was going to be. And instead, we're just getting to watch all of the web secret scenes that we would have had to seek out on YouTube after the fact. And instead, we get them in the episode. Yeah, I don't know if Amazing Race had been asking for 90-minute episodes that I well, feel they like... they weren't asked. They were told. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, that just in terms of like how this all went down, like Survivor is like, okay, we finally got what we've been asking for, 90-minute episodes, and we're going to build out like more complicated ways to find the idols and tasks. And really, we're really... We have a vision of how we're going to fill the time. And Amazing Race, uh, maybe less so that this was something that they were... Uh, desiring to have but you know uh, it, what's disappointing is that they could mm-hmm. um and you know i i know that we we said we were going to stop complaining about this but I, i'm just going to get it in one more time that amazing race australia the first couple of seasons those were 90 minute episodes they had a lot more to do there was a lot more going on and it didn't feel like they were padding it out and I think same thing, Amazing Race Canada doesn't even have 90 minute episodes. They do twice as many tasks every episode. So I feel like 
from a game design standpoint, they could plan for that and it could be really cool. Mm -hmm. And maybe in future seasons, if we continue to have 90 minute episodes, we could go down that road. But I suspect this is a very special occasion. And it makes me kind of sad that we didn't take bigger advantage of the opportunities we were given here. Yeah. Yeah. And it's tough because you would also say, okay, 90 minutes, we're getting to know these teams more. And I would still say when we do the rundown of the teams, there are still like two or three left of this 11 that despite getting 90 minutes of time dedicated towards them, or sorry, 90, three 90 minute episodes, 270 minutes dedicated to them. I'm still sort of like, yeah, who are you again? Which is no slight to the contestants. I think just more so due to like kind of the results oriented editing. But all that being said, again, I really enjoyed this episode. I think until we kind of hit that keep on racing idea and then it's like, Okay, so yeah, we really are permanently putting an asterisk on this no, not eliminations twist. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk through what we got to see in the episode. And uh, we open things up with the teams heading to the travel agency, uh, which, I, you know, this really was pretty fun to get this kind of a throwback to going to the travel agency. And I just don't know, like, how much of this is, you know, kayfabe in terms of like uh is this a real travel agency is everybody like does do the producers sort of like tell tell these guys like ahead of time like okay these are the flights to put people on or is it just they, they let the chips fall i would suspect there is some amount of we need them all on these flights there's probably some recon done yeah. to make sure that there's don't space. do like, like a connecting flight through mm -hmm. you know oh, the other, yeah, <laughs> yeah like oh the connecting flight through tokyo that's gonna yeah, yeah. or the classic example mike if we want to go all the way back um the people that were trying to get from south america to south africa via yes. new york and london that oh, is the classic example the gutsy grannies never forget never forget <laughs> um i i think you know, Mike was talking about how back in the day you'd have teams that could get to be a day or so behind when they had to book their own flights. And there was a kind of a period in the middle, this sort of like this sort of middle era where Amazing Race booked the flights and they had the tickets available, but it was more like whoever got to the airport first, right. this could be your ticket. And I think I think we're kind of we're dialing that back a little bit. I don't think we're gonna dial it back for the entire season, but in different countries, this is still how flights are sold. Like, this is still how you would go and buy a ticket for a flight mm -hmm. in Thailand. Um, and we've seen that before. We've seen we've seen these kinds of travel agency situations, especially through Southeast Asia. But I would suspect that the production, production said, we want them on these flights. They need to get in by this time. Yeah. And they made sure that much was available. And... The third flight felt like a surprise to everybody. The Thai, the Thai travel agency, uh, you know, it's it seems like nobody's on computers. It's a little bit sort of like a deal or no deal. It's like uh, they're on the <laughs> phone. Like, all right, I've talked to the banker. Uh, they're, they're willing to offer you one fifty. Yeah, I mean, what a what a great advertisement for travel agencies, though. It's like, don't work with a computer. The mm -hmm. machines can't get you that 150 flight. Only a flesh and blood person in a festive Hawaiian shirt sitting in that corner office. I mean, Joe expresses it, right? It's all about the luck of the draw, but I feel like I haven't seen this in a while. I could understand if you go to a different travel agency and perhaps get access to a different flight than what other ones are booking. But there was an entirely different flight being booked like six feet away from yeah. all the other teams. Yeah. And 
I think it's really interesting that people were coming in, like, especially toward the end, like you had, you had like Morgan and Lena come in and say, just give me what they, what I'll have what they're having. Yeah, I'll have what they're having. (laughs) And the teams that it it really didn't seem like, it seemed like they had this one guy that had the the hookup. And if you got that guy, (laughs) you could employee of the month. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I I work in the travel industry. I know that travel agents are still very much a thing and they still very much know stuff that the, that the rest of us don't know. There's a reason we haven't had actual travel agents as a team on the amazing race. It Mm. would not be fair. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we got to see everybody coming in and yeah, that was like the big curveball where it seemed like, okay, that people were booking up the first flight, boom, boom, boom. And then there was a much later flight. That was what the nine thirty flight that was going to be six hours behind. I'm like, Oh boy, here we go again. Luckily the hours of operation kind of like caught everybody up, but I thought like, wow, I mean, we definitely in the past two weeks set apart like the top half and bottom half of teams. Now we're really going to put a stamp on it with six hours. This was the point where I actually got hopeful. I was like, Oh, they are going to do an hours of operation bunching. This is a throwback. Mm -hmm. I, I realized like, especially it wasn't even that we have a front half and a back half. It was that you look at, they're giving us the departure times and there is a huge spread. There's a spread of almost four hours between the first team and the last team. Mm-hmm. And they need to bunch that up somehow. They can't keep on going this way forever. So I got excited at this point. I thought, oh, they are, they're going to get there and they're going to have to stay there all night until the thing opens. That's the only way this is going to work. Um, because I think everybody knows we don't want a repeat of season 24. But if you notice, like Jocelyn and Victor are half an hour ahead of Rob and Corey. The team number two. So, and then there's another almost an hour before the next team shows up. Yeah. So this is fascinating to me. And I think it says something about, we're getting a little more loosey-goosey with, with our Amazing Race this season. It's not going to be on those same rails the entire time. And you like that. I like that. Yeah. I like, I like that there's some uncertainty there. I, I yeah. don't like it when it's all one thing. I want it to be, I want you to be able to be a good traveler yeah. and a good navigator and a good task person. Like that's the person I want to right. win the race. I don't want it to just be the, you know, the beefy bros that are good at all the tasks. You want like to Jocelyn take the bumpers off the bowling alley. Right. Yeah. Right. I think, I think we want to introduce more variants into mm-hmm. the race. I mean, again, look at Steve and Anna Lee who basically helped guarantee themselves first place by like double checking the random slips of paper mm-hmm. in the hours of operation booth like it's good to introduce that i know people don't like how much luck can factor into reality tv but the fact of the matter is it does and i feel like we got inherently entertaining outcomes from seeing previously dominating teams fall to the back of the pack and vice versa just because of some of these circumstances yeah okay i like it when it's luck i like it i like it when it's you know outside circumstances i never like it when it's like someone's fault who is not on your team I think I, I don't I don't love it when it's like a bad cab driver or something along those lines. But I do like I do like having that random chance in there. I think that makes it more interesting and more unpredictable. 
Okay, so this 150 flight was the one that nobody saw coming, that somehow you had to know a guy. It's like the secret menu at In-N-Out Burger. Yeah, and- it was the real Alligabler flight. <laughs> and ironically enough, the two guys from Idaho ended up being uh, on the flight here. Yeah, Joe and Ian and uh, Joel and Garrett, they got the secret flight. Uh, and they got the 150, and it turned out to be even, uh, like, it wasn't just that it was early, but the 145 flight got delayed. This was interesting because I feel like the previews really pumped this up more than it ended up being. Mm-hmm. They they suggested that there were two flights and they were hours apart and the one in the back became the one in the front. And that's not actually what happened. So it ended up like these people that were on a flight that would have gotten there five minutes after the first flight got a two hour head start. And they still had they still all had six hours and a bunch of bunching after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but I do think it it was like a nice breadcrumb. I actually think again going to that hours of operation board, I feel like that was the biggest shakeup because they stratified it in a way. I think they went like three three four four or something like that. Where now you have teams from the second flight being able to get onto the first group, but also in the second group, and then you have teams from the third group get into the second group, but also the third group, and so that helped mix things around a bit more where it wasn't okay, you got the best flight. That means that you're guaranteed to finish in the top two. I mean, look at Joe and Ian who falls so precipitously down despite starting the leg in such a good position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I feel like Joe and Ian are just going to sit in that seven, eight spot the entire race. It's like, that's where they're comfortable at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay. So after the teams uh, landed in Vietnam, uh, after a bus ride, I have to say, uh, Jess, I thought that this uh, laying down bus looked very comfortable. It was hard for them to get in the seats. Did you see like kind of climb over? (laughs) I, I, I'm not sure that they, I, I suspect that these are, these bus seats are probably made for much shorter people than Mm -hmm. most of the people running this amazing race are. I mean, didn't they say half the population of Vietnam's under 25? Yeah, they're all building it for shorties. <laughs> Short yeah, not fully matured yet. The Vietnamese are not a tall people to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, d- I did feel bad for Todd. I'm, I'm sure they purposely didn't show us footage of Todd getting into the bus because it was far from an easy no, they should have. They should have. Um, they had 90 minutes. They could have devoted 89 of that to Todd getting on the yeah, bus. But uh, that would be my preferred way to travel, sleeping bus. I, it depends. I, I don't know. You have to, it has to be the right sleeping bus. Mm-hmm. It has to have, like, you don't know if the lights are on the whole time. You don't mm-hmm. know if there's like the, the longest bus ride I've ever taken was a seven hour bus ride. And it's actually the same one they did in Amazing Race season seven. The one oh. where you go over the Andes in between Chile and Argentina. And they played movies on a big screen at full volume the entire time. Oh no. So it was like, if you were going to sleep, uh, you better hope you have good headphones or that's not happening. Yeah, yeah. or good meds. Yeah, I do feel meds. like uh, the reclining chairs was not the thing for me. I think it's the draw curtain. I think it's just mm. that idea to like give yourself privacy. You like that. Yeah, I mean, I think they're not complete blackout curtains, but I think if you so- you could just you could solve Jess's problem by just like kind of uh, siphoning yourself away into like some sort of corner where, yeah, maybe you could lay down, but even if the chair was sitting vertically up, like I feel like that'd be, nice to have and then you don't have the anxiety of like is someone watching me sleep at this moment to have to mm-hmm. deal with those creepos all the creepos well, are in their own corners but it's it's the amazing race someone's definitely watching you sleep because they're getting it on film and then everybody will be watching you sleep 
Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, the teams, uh, they took the bus and then uh, they ended up getting to the dock where we had the board where everybody was going to get their times to uh, participate in our roadblock here in this episode. And so first, um, I feel like has this been missing the last couple seasons? Have we not had these clue boards I mean, we don't need the clue boards because we had the staggered start times. Yeah, that was pretty much the clue boards. Uh, so, yeah, I think we've been missing these since uh, I would, I'm thinking back to like season 32. I'm sure they've done them, but it feels like oh, it feels like a while since they landed in a place, took transportation and then went to one of those hours of operation, which, again, I think on paper feels a little useless because like you haven't done anything. You're probably going to arrive in the exact same order that you got there. But again, because the flights were so timed out, it did allow for, allow for some interesting bunchings and groupings going into this task the next day. Yeah, and it ended up being one of the most impactful things of the trip because you had people that kind of dug through all the times and made sure they got the earliest one. I love that. Oh, that's so that was wonderful. Well, that's so crafty. That's why, like, you never grab the first thing in front of you at the grocery store, right? You right. usually rifle through. You try to find the good stuff that's possibly stuffed in the back. There. Where's so the Anna good was, avocado in the pile? Yeah. Right. Like, right. Anna Lee is frugal AF, and I love it. Mm -hmm. It pays off here. She yeah. definitely, like, she she sniffs the watermelon before she buys it. Yeah. Or the golden melons yeah. before she throws Do, it. Well, you yes. know, on... On TikTok, I found the the trick for finding the best watermelon. Oh, is this about the color of the? No, no. Oh, so the, so the watermelon. Can, can I can I go Absolutely. off topic I mean, here? This is amazing yeah. race infamously okay. had a watermelon. Yeah, and look, there was, we're like there, more interested in this than uh, we are in the amazing honestly, race. Honestly, there was a lot of fruit in the market task. Yeah, so there we, we can go. talk about this. Um, so. What they told me on TikTok was that these watermelon, you want to find the sweetest watermelon. So the watermelon has like two sides, right? There's mm. the part where the stem and there's kind of the watermelon bee hole, okay, on the other side. All right. Um, you want the one that has like the biggest, roundest bee hole that you can find. That that's okay, that's well, an indicator of the I had a sweetness. <laughs> Trust it that look. You can laugh. Uh, that sounds. It sounds like Rob. Okay, you're. You look. Try it. Go try it. Okay. Report yes. back. <laughs> Report back your findings. Does not apply to anything else but watermelon. Watermelon. No. Water. Not the stem side. The other. The. Yeah. The uh, the opposite. One hundred eighty degrees. Yeah. The posterior. The aft. Uh, yeah. from the, the stern the stern. Yeah. Find I, yeah. the the one that has the the the, the big. You know. You know, sometimes they have like little, like a little tiny, like pin prick. You want uh, the biggest, roundest diameter there. Mm -hmm. That that makes sense. It only applies to watermelons because, from my experience, the people who usually have the biggest, sweetest assholes are just <laughs> absolute dicks, just callous people, worst ones you can find. I, I will take your word for that, Mike. Um, to go back to the thing about the sign-up board. Yes. Um. Maybe it's not as glaring to me because Amazing Race Canada has a sign-up board like every other episode at this point. And they're all sponsored by a particular brand of energy drink. Ooh. It's almost like it, it feels like the, 
the same punchline as Biostrath at this point mm-hmm. is the Guru Energy sign-up sheet. Yeah. And they have to chug an energy drink and then sign up. They have on to the chug an sheet. energy drink. Well, they don't have to, but they always do. Oh. And yeah, they talk I mean, about how delicious it is. I mean, how could you not? Not only is it great in-house branding, but like you're tired AF. Absolutely chug right. that down. I think these people needed some Guru Energy drinks. These people would have benefited. They could have yeah. used one. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we go to the floating market. And while the floating market, I felt like as a concept was very interesting, all the teams were uh, remarking about how cool it was. I did find the floating market task to be a little hard to follow. It was tough. I'm really glad we had those trackers. I mean, I feel like it did an accurate job of representing how all over the place, quite literally, this task was. What I found the most interesting was sort of like the waterways, that there was sort of a rule of the road, which makes sense. It's the Mekong Delta. As Phil said, you're basically traveling cross-country if you're going down it. That it seems like where John and Greg really got screwed up was that, listen, I'm from Jersey, so I'm used to it, but apparently in Vietnam also, you can't make left turns. You have to sort of do the clover, get off the highway, make the full loop around, and then you can get back on. And so as a result, like, you just had to be on the lookout for these random fruit stands. And if you happen to be on the wrong side of the river, well, that's just going to cost you more time. Mm-hmm. So a big part of uh, this episode was the decision to use the Express Pass. Finally, uh, Morgan and Lena, it's going to expire, I guess, in the next leg. They wanted to maximize using it. They use it here. Ultimately, uh, it doesn't end that with them getting into first place because of the trouble that they're going to have on the detour. Just did you think that this was on paper a good decision, not not plastic, uh, a good decision <laughs> for Morgan and Lena to use the express pass here? I got a little anxious a little too early. And granted, they had this leg and the next leg to use it. Mm-hmm. But and they could have used it on the detour, right? I think yeah. it's a little it's a little bit 2020 hindsight to say that, you know, they should have used it on the detour instead because they didn't know what was coming up. I think they assumed they've been pretty good at the tasks so far. In theory, they don't actually need the express pass at all. But at the point where it's sort of burning a hole in their pocket at this point, because they were already talking about, we're going to use it this leg, we're going to use it this leg. And then the second they had the slightest amount of trouble, it's like, oh, well, we have this, we're going to use it. Yeah. So I don't, I don't hate it in that regard. I think they would have saved more time ultimately if they had used it on the, on the detour. But as it was... It was going to expire. Yeah. And I don't think it really bought them a ton of time, but they weren't going to, you know, if they got eliminated this leg, I think we'd have an easier time saying this was a mistake. Yeah. But at what point do they have to say they want to use it? Could they just get get to the clue board and say, hey, mm-hmm. we're using yep. the thing? Oh, so- yeah. Yep. But usually you want to at least like try out the task because as much as Jess talks, I think the understandable psychology of like, Almost when you have money to spend, you might be a bit more lavishing with it as opposed to if you're more frugal, then you will sift towards the back of those avocados. You know, Morgan and Lena could get to a task and be like, "Eh, I don't want to do this. Let me use the express pass. Usually you want to get like a feel for what it is so that you know, okay, do I really need to use this or is this something we could get done? And for what it's worth, they did think they could get the vinyl task done. We know that Lena had had some firsthand experience with it. So now... Thank you to everyone in the comments in the past seven days who signed off that, yes, Morgan and Lena did indeed say last week that the Express Pass expired in leg four. Uh, That was our bad. We missed it amidst all the other stuff going on. Blame that killer fatigue. Rob, what's your thought about this? Because I know 
you have been a proponent for years about the shot clock idol, the idea of like, here's an idol that can only last two or three tribal councils. Mm -hmm. What do you think about an express pass that lasts only four legs? Well, I don't mind it, but I feel like that they should then put another one in after we get through four legs. So I feel like that's fine because uh, it's no fun when it's just one and then people hold it the whole season. So I don't mind it expiring, but I would love to see there being like, okay, here's the, you know, second trimester uh, <laughs> express pass. <laughs> we don't know that's what's that's not what's going to happen. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, we don't know. It, it could be, or there could be some I'm, other twist coming up that is going to replace it. Mm -hmm. So is this the morning sickness <laughs> express pass if we're going off of trimesters, which doesn't make sense because we were on the water a lot. So I'd imagine these mm -hmm. people were feeling really Yeah, I really went with rocky. trimester because I feel like we're four episodes in and it's usually like a, around the 12 episode season. So I thought that that would be the right way to go. But yeah, so yeah, I think that maybe, you know, the second, you know, second trimester, the teams are really feeling like, OK, we're back to normal. This is like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're, we're back to doing stuff. Well, speaking of getting back to normal, which... I'm going to make an attempt for us to do that. Um, there is a point where I, I think there is a circumstance that I could say arguably is a good chance to just drop your express pass the second you get to a task. Yeah. And that is if you are far behind. Yeah. And there are teams at if there are teams at a roadblock and you're showing up in last place, you can overtake all the teams that are still at the roadblock by just like completely noping out of the roadblock. Mm -hmm. I think at that point if that's the situation you're in, I think that is a capital time to not even entertain what is the task. Like, we don't even care. We're just going. Or if there's a U-turn board, you know you're going to get U-turned. Yeah. You know, drop that express pass and, you know, leave them in your well, desk. Now, okay. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah, because luckily they didn't face a U-turn before they used it because it's public knowledge. And so yeah. that's an easy mm -hmm. way to burn that off. So oh, I, yeah. I am wondering now, okay, so the express pass, you could only use it for the first four legs of the race. Can we sort of like reverse engineer where this like vote U-turn is going to be in episode five? Maybe episode five or six, and then maybe mm -hmm. they drop another one for like episode seven through 11 or something. I could see that happening. But precisely what Jess is saying is why I did not like them using the express pass here, even outside of hindsight, because they were freaked out upon consistently the office space metaphor, right? They went to every stand and it seemed like there were teams blocking their way. And rather than being patient, they're just sort of like, well, we can use this to just get the hell out of Dodge. This was an example we see all the time in Amazing Race during the express pass era of like, using the express pass to guarantee themselves a spot in the lead and maybe first place, as opposed to that get out of jail free card. And I feel like we almost never see that work from that aspect. I think if they had left the market, definitely feeling like, okay, we've waited for too long. We're in the last few teams. Then to Jess's point, even if Lena has done all the vinyl stuff in the world, they can show up to the detour, say, nope, we're good. And then go directly to the pit stop and guarantee themselves a much bigger spot ironically enough they would probably land in the same spot than they did here wasting the express pass struggling on the vinyl and then being shocked when they found out they were in sixth yeah that's i think that's the play mike they know there's another task you're not just gonna ride around in a boat and check in with phil there's something else coming up and that's their point to make up time so the better move would be you know how much time this fruit thing's going to take you even with other teams in front of you make up that time and turn the express pass in at the detour. Okay. We'll talk 
about all of the teams in more detail uh, once we discuss uh, the other tasks. So uh, we'll get into some of the other details about how the floating market went for everybody. But let's just talk about the detour real quick. Paper or plastic? Now, for me, Jocelyn I, and Victor are like, this is great. Our wheelhouse wants to go. <laughs> yeah, this is our final. Uh, and they struggled so much with it. And they said, look, we we eat this, uh, you know, uh, rice paper and uh, we can't make it. We don't we sell it. This is a it's, really it's the butterfly guy meme. And he's holding any team having trouble with a task. And he's saying, is this a five hole? Is this a five hole? <laughs> yeah. It was it not Jess? I, it might have been. I, I don't think they're. I don't think they're required to make it. I think there's something. There might be an argument to be made for Victor and Jocelyn doing badly on a paper or plastic task. But yes. mm-hmm. that's the thing. I think the naming is the biggest five hole thing about yeah. it. Like, I don't know. Uh, if I eat a burrito every day and like you ask me to make a tortilla, I'm not gonna be like, well, this is a real five hole. I don't know <sighs> the literal granular process of making the food that I eat. No, but if you're a chef, I, I feel like. If Joel had screwed this up, you know, as a master crepe maker, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe that's a five hole. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, but I'm thinking like, okay, this um, making the rice paper is a lot easier than uh, heat wrapping or uh, what would you call this? Heat shrinking? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. Yeah. Nicole might be good at this, Rob. She might she's be. She's a cricket person. She might be, actually. Uh, but I don't think she's ever done, like, a shrink wrap on things. But I don't know. She's definitely, like, made, like, mugs and different things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Mike, uh, this is the first time that vinyl got brought up on CBS reality TV since Millennials versus Gen X. Yeah, and I think that they have to ask, like, okay, is this temple spelled with a U or an OU? I mean, we're dealing with a very millennial population in Vietnam, so I guess they have vinyls to spare that they can deck out the one random motorcycle fender with it. Yeah, this was interesting where I think talking, Jesse talks so much about the psychology of the first episode's detour. I thought this this was an interesting one where it felt like maybe on paper or plastic, uh, the the vinyl would be easier. But we saw that was by far the harder of the two tasks. We saw some people struggle with the rice paper, but everyone pretty much got it. Considering how detailed you had to be on that fender, I would have just had an impossible time with that personally. Mm-hmm. It was uh, very difficult, I thought, to do. And, you know, I, I was I think I would have like walked in and like took one look at it and just walked out. Yeah, though I will say I really give a lot of the teams credit for the strategic choice in color. I love Joe and Ian going with the lighter color because then, okay, if we put too much heat on it, the lighter hues won't show. Then I love Morgan and Lena saying, okay, we're going to go with the darker color because the impurities don't show up on it as much. And I, I like the choices that they make. It sucks that they have to start all over again and waste that much vinyl. But I do love that the choice of color really came into play and that you really did have to be you know, def- definitely very dexterous, very hand-eye coordinated for this. But then also you can make these little choices to hopefully catch up for your mistakes. Mm-hmm. I think the point at which you walk into that de- detour and you see that you only have to do one tiny little machine part, that's the point at which you got to think, this is mu- this must be much harder than it looks. Mm-hmm. And it looked to me like these things were literally right next door to each other. Yeah. So, yeah, I think Joel and Garrett said as much. They said, like, oh, yeah. they're right down the road from each other. Well, you and you see it when you see Victor and Jocelyn leaving their task at the same time Liam and Jeremy are. Mm-hmm. Like, they're literally, they practically crash into each other. I mean, 
You ever try to like put like one of the screen protectors like on the phone like uh, mm-hmm. and do that and not get a bubble on it? Now you're going to be shrink wrapping like a, a bumper. Forget yeah, it. It's, I'm out. it's very hard to it's very hard to keep it from having the little bubbles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I put the heat film on like some of my windows this summer and uh, same thing. You're there all day. Forget uh, it. Rice I mean, paper listen, for I, me. I, I think there was a certain threshold they had to get over. I don't think they expected anything to be necessarily perfect, but I think if there were any like large visual standouts like the bubbles or a hole that was ripped in it by a couple people, that would be commiserate to failure. But still, I think that maybe it was like the process of the rice making the rice paper once you got it was like that much quicker, but we basically saw that that was the more optimal task over the other one. I think as someone who once tried to put one of those overlays on a birthday cake, yeah. both of these both of these tasks were giving me like birthday cake related PTSD. Let's talk about the teams in a little bit more detail, uh, starting with our first place team. Uh, that was Steve and Annalie. First off, I always feel like that these teams that win the first part of the mega leg get screwed. Like this was a coming out party for Steve and Annalie to jump up and get first place this week. No prize for them. Nothing. Their prize should have been sleep. They should have been able to like go nap for a few hours and have no effect, uh, no affectation to their time. Yeah, or an energy drink. Give them energy drinks for like, hey, that you that we're gonna keep racing, but your prize for winning first leg of this race is okay. Here you go. Here's a forty of Red Bull for each of you. <laughs> oh no, they're gonna do Edward forty hands with Red Bull. Mm-hmm. Yes. But okay, uh, Annalie, like the big moment was, you know, when she ultimately went on the clue board to uh, find the other earlier time uh, when she was going to be potentially uh, look like in the last group to arrive. But this was uh, a nice week for them. It was a standout week. I I can't even point to anything where I feel like I feel like pulling out the the right departure time is the one thing they did that was head and shoulders above everybody else but yes you know they were quietly competent mm-hmm. yeah. that's that's and that's sometimes what you need to do in the amazing rates is like do really well on one thing better than the other teams and then like do at least satisfactory mm-hmm. the rest of the time and so steven and Annalie were in that first group as i believe it's joel and garrett are talking about they got an advantage in that market task and that they didn't have to worry about a lot of gridiron blocking from the other teams at their things. They didn't have any problems navigating the Mekong Delta. They seem to be okay with the uh, the rice paper, even better, I guess, than the sort of like loose five hole that was Joel and Garrett. And so it was overall really good for them. I didn't really have any opinions of them as racers in the first two legs because everything felt so stagnant. They were in sixth place for the first couple legs. Seemed like fine, stable, middle-of-the-pack racers, but it goes to show that, like, they can find their moment, and we talked about how Derek and Claire were able to, like, outthink a bunch of these teams last season and end up with a victory because of it. Maybe this is an example of that type of behavior as well. So... They told us before the season the season started, okay, no non-eliminations, okay, and then we sort of get asterisk, we're going to keep racing. But with 13 teams this season, do we expect this is going to be the only time that this is going to happen, barring any sort of like unforeseen COVID removals or anything like that? This could be a situation where we have a double elimination at some point, which mm. would be, I, I think... But I think the math still maths. 
Okay. If we're having yeah. one keep on racing. Like we can have up to two actually because we need three and we need three teams in the finals. So we can have one more keep on racing leg. And then there's also some padding in there. If somebody gets COVID and has to drop out, you just eliminate them that leg. Similar to what we had last season. Um, I think, I think you have to sort of go into Amazing Race now with the same attitude that you did when there were non-elimination legs. Like mm-hmm. you have to keep going as fast as you can, even if you're in the back of the pack and all hope seems lost because you really do never know. And they, tr- as much as they try to front that you do know, you don't know. You don't know. Yeah, I think the only thing that could indicate it is looking at the CBS schedule. We know that Amazing Race has to finish at the latest the week before the Survivor finale because we know the Survivor finale is going to take up that entire time slot unless Amazing Race gets bumped to another day. So I would imagine this maybe extended us from 11 legs, which we assumed over to 12. So as long as we finish within that 12-week workflow, I think we should be good. If we get another keep on racing, then we might have to futz, maybe do a double elimination or maybe do something out of season 25 and 26 that they did once upon a time and do like a four-team finale where one team either gets eliminated at the mat or we saw this in Amazing Race Canada, Jess, where just like four teams run the final leg. Yeah, they they have room to do that. I think there's probably the flexibility available. Like if you don't, if you, if you, if you want to have those four teams at the end, you can. And of course that twist, like I think there's fans that are still big mad about season 25 in that regard okay uh let's talk about our second place team and it was joel and garrett big week for them and they didn't forget any fanny packs and we had uh a a a task that was right up joel's alley to be that he's mr france uh so he got to uh, make crepes they found the earlier flight look at joel and garrett Yeah, this was a really fun week for a really fun team. And again, goes to show that like when they're in a good position and they're not doing things like forgetting fanny packs, like they are capable racers. I think they like Steven Annalee got into this key position. And unlike Joe and Ian, were like able to maintain their position, maintain that consistency, realize what they did well and what they didn't. And they have the personalities to boot as well. I'm having a lot of fun with Joel and Garrett. Again, I think they bring more than like our typical fish out of water team that we've spoken about from a trophy perspective. I'm really enjoying them. Yeah. This is the strongest team of that archetype that we've had in a long, long time. And I'm excited to see what else they can do. And, you know, they aren't necessarily as fish out of watery as the usual fish out of water teams. Like they've both lived abroad. Um, And I I think this is the first we're hearing about France (laughs) in Joel's case. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm interested to find out where else he's been. Like they talked about, they've both been deployed. So they've seen a fair amount of the world already. Yeah. And for a team that uh, had a seventh place and a ninth place finish, uh, they may be sort of like uh, a little bit like uh, underrated in terms of like this. We may uh, see them like continue to be at the front of the pack now after like a slow start. I think they do have that range of outcomes. And that was their quote unquote strategy, right? That's what they said of like, well, we definitely want to be underestimated early on. Again, like that, that Ala Gabler. But I think now they are out in front and able to show that they do have those capabilities. Because I'm... Yeah, last week, if they didn't lose the fanny pack, where would they have been? They wouldn't have been ninth last week. No, we only had two teams swap positions and they were one of them because they forgot the fanny pack. Like, mm-hmm. 
everything would have maintained consistent. I love Joel's nickname because it just makes me think about like that army culture and like, okay, you like, is this flavor flave levels of nicknames of like, well, you spent a lot of time in France. So your name is Pierre. Mm -hmm. And you make crates. Yeah, I would call you Private Joker. <laughs> I honestly, I I was a little worried last week when we only had those two teams switching places. It's like, oh, have we already stratified the teams on this huge level? Mm-hmm. Is this how the season's going to play out? But the fact that you had a team go from seventh to ninth to second, I think that bodes really well for the rest of the season. Like we were just, we put everybody, we put everybody in a big bowl and shook them all up this week. Okay. All right, uh, let's talk about our third place team. Uh, it's Rob and Corey, a very consistent team, second, second, third, and another strong week for Rob and Corey. Yeah, you talk about the bull shaking things up, Jess. It was like the lone piece of flour that stuck to the bowl because this wasn't shaken up, really. They fell one place, and I feel like if they had wound up in that first time slot for whatever reason, then and maybe they would if that first flight had landed properly, then like there's a chance they finish in first or second. They are probably the strongest team up to this point. We have yet to see them have any sort of meltdowns. They're able to maintain their composure. We find out that Corey, much like Joel and Garrett, is very well-traveled, Rob. He went on a backpack tour around the world twice. He did two amazing races, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't even know necessarily like what, if they have like one like killer skill set that's causing them to do so well but they just like uh they know the show they uh get along great they're loving this opportunity and uh, i think they're gonna be at the front of the pack for the long haul yeah i think it's really communication and this is something that they spoke to me about in the preseason which is this idea of like we could communicate with each other from like leagues away just because of the way we talk with our hands in more ways than one and so i do think that like very open level that have allowed them to be so intimately communicative with each other, having to communicate on that base level for all of Corey's life, I think does keep them connected and simpatico in a very, you know, similar way. We saw that a bit with Margie and Luke as well, where like they were just very well connected because they could speak on a level that not a lot of these other teams can. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I like that there have been more accommodations made for Rob this time than there Mm -hmm. have been in previous seasons. Like, I think it was kind of unfair in the Margie and Luke seasons for Margie to have to take that on in addition to running the race. And so the fact that they have an interpreter traveling with them, I think, I think that's great. Yeah. Um, And and it's, uh, I wasn't with you all last week, but like to see like where Rob is, does confessionals in sign language. uh, I thought that that was like really cool and uh, nice to see some of those like innovations be part of the show. All right. Yeah, it's it's that easy, CBS, to make those accommodations on your reality shows. Yeah, it's Big Brother taking notes. Mm-hmm. No, the Big Brother does not take notes, Jess. Okay? <laughs> they give the notes. They give the notes. <laughs> they give the notes uh, and if you give them the notes, they don't read them. Okay. All right. Uh, let's talk about our fourth place team and a little bit of a tick up for Todd and Ashley after two fifth place finishes. A fourth place finish for Todd and Ashley. Yeah, though they were a little all over the place, delightfully so. Again, this is like the type of chaos that I like in a team that's not overweening into like problematic territory. You know, them freaking out about the fact that they were the fifth team to get to the travel agent, so they just missed out on that first flight, and so they were freaking out about that. And then, you know, they grabbed the 6 o'clock when Steve and Annalie jump in and just grab the 545 right out from under them. And then, of course, them, you know, uh, spatting back and forth during the making of the rice paper. 
I really enjoyed it all. They're a very entertaining couple to me. And we get a little bit of background on Todd here. Todd is doing his own European traveling. Look out, Joel. J Todd has some European experience as well. Yeah. yeah. I like that they have big feelings, but the big feelings are not necessarily turned toward each other. Right. I, I think they can be, they'd be kind of a hot mess and still be like, you can hear them. You can hear that they are a team that has been to marriage counseling and the way that they talk to each other. But then it's like, they that does not preclude them having huge outsized reactions to things that are happening around them. Okay. Uh, Todd and Ashley, they're team number four. Uh, then this week we get to team number five. Uh, and it's a bounce back week for Robin and Chelsea, who had two 11th place finishes, but now uh, jump up and now uh, clearly middle of the pack. I love their personalities. I feel like they really came to the forefront this week in a very small dose. It was literally only one scene that we've really seen them in. But just this is a tried and trope, tried and true trope you love on The Amazing Race. The snarker, right? The deadpan racer. I feel like we found that in Chelsea. There's this scene where all the teams on the last flight are hanging out in the airport. And they're like, what do you think we're going to do at night? And Todd throws out like, well, we could catch frogs. And Annalise like, one time I was on a golf course and they told me how to catch frogs and then, uh, you know, put them in a race together. And Chelsea's like, you probably led such a charmed life. And like, <laughs> what a thing to say to someone's face in that way. <laughs> Yeah, uh, they're very fun, and uh, I was happy to see them, uh, you know, f starting to find themselves a little bit this week. Yeah, and this is testament to how close together a lot of these people were, because you saw them arrive pretty late to the paper task. And there's actually, this is a question mark. When we get to Andrea and Melina, I'm going to have a question about this. But it seemed like they caught on to what needed to be done a lot quicker than a lot of the other teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do wonder, though, because, again, this this it's not a social game inherently like Survivor or Big Brother. But that one scene that tails onto the end of what I was just discussing, where Robin has this confessional being like, I don't really get along with these people. I'm not here to make a bestie. When the inevitable U-turn vote happens, I wonder if teams are going to vote for like, the team that'll give us the least amount of blood on our hands, the team that we're not really bonding with because we don't want to make those people mad. Let's just vote for Robin and Chelsea because they kind of seem to be off by themselves. Yeah, it, it's just a question of, I, I think a lot depends on how they're doing the U-turn vote. Because if you know how other teams are voting, that changes what you're gonna, like what you're willing to say in front of other people as we saw the last time they had it. Mm -hmm. But if it's like a secret ballot, I think people will be more inclined to deploy that strategically. So it's an interesting call out that they're showing that, which may be foreshadowing something like what you're suggesting, Mike. Okay, let's uh, then continue on to talk about then Morgan and Lena. Okay, we talked about them with the Express Pass and uh, they end up somehow that they were in fourth place the first two weeks. They use the Express Pass and end up in sixth place. And look, uh, not the end of the world for Morgan and Lena, but I think that they thought, okay, this is going to be our nitro that we're going to use. And uh, ultimately, that's going to get us to first place in this leg of the race. Yeah, listen, it's not every day you get the reaction of the team that thinks they're in the lead and finds out that they're not. It's almost always the opposite, where a team thinks they're eliminated and they find out, no, you survived. So I love the blindsided face. I love the shot in front of Morgan and Lena being like, uh... 
wait, our gambit really didn't pay off. And it seems like the keep on racing from next episode's preview is going to make them spiral a bit further. We talked about how I certainly question their choice to use the express pass. I get it. If you have it, you might as well use it and you only have to use it for one more leg. I guess that's the question as well. Is this still leg three that we're going into next episode? Would Morgan and Lena have had to use the express pass next episode or is the leg following next episode leg four? My guess is that when you see Phil, that counts as a leg. Okay. I think if you got, if, if, if you got a mega leg, like you don't see Phil in the middle of a mega leg. And the mm-hmm. mega leg counts as one discrete leg. But if if Phil hands you a clue, I think you have to safely say that's the end of this leg and the beginning of the next leg. It's more like you have two legs without a pit stop. And of course, you know, the show has even tried to sort of sneak in a keep on racing leg without telling the audience that that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, back in those days when they were really on the tight rails. Yeah, I was wondering if they do that, where how they would do that in a typical episode is that like we'd get what we had, maybe some like summarizing confessionals from the teams after they finish, and then Liam and Jeremy would arrive. We think they'd be in last, and Phil goes, "But you're still racing. Here's your next clue." So it would be a surprise for us as well. Yeah, I, I'm surprised that I'm surprised that's not the way we went with it because again, there's a lot of due to the structure of The Amazing Race, there's a lot of suspense that you can't have. It's the same reason that like every final leg feels like kind of a dud because you don't finish it on the high note of a team winning. You finish it on the third place team checking in and being disappointed. So I, I don't know. It's an interesting choice to tell them that they're, you know, to tell us at the same time that the racers find out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm excited to talk about Joe and Ian here because this was a interesting episode for Joe and Ian. Uh, high highs and low lows. Ultimately, they end up in uh, seventh place, uh, the same as last week for them. Now, they had the big boon to their game in that they got on that 150 flight that nobody else uh, knew about except for uh, the, the team of Joel and Garrett, and it looked like, okay, this is going to be Joe and Ian's week. However, uh, they ended up not getting the clue uh, during the market uh, task, uh, and that ultimately set them back. Yeah, and it was, it was just them forgetting one-third of a photograph is what put them in seventh place. That, I think, compounded with the vinyl. I think if they had chosen the rice paper, they maybe could have gone in, like, fifth or sixth place and it wasn't like they were bad at it it just again was a very arduous task and the amount of life experience they had was what ian watching his dad do it over his shoulder that's not enough this is not the giver it doesn't transfer uh so i think that joe and ian actually i think replicated their performance from the first leg to me which is like they have a lot of potential you know they have the ability to get out in the lead but almost always one thing happens. They make one mistake and that sends them tumbling back down. In the first leg, it was getting to LAX. In this leg, it was just forgetting to grab that scrap of paper from the market person. But because there was so much blockaded boat traffic and they couldn't like jump the queue, you know, they couldn't step ahead. They had to basically take a number and wait all over again. They end up getting sent back down to seventh place. Mm-hmm. Well, this is what makes them so compelling to me is that I think if we had done a draft, I'm sure these guys would have gone in the first round. Like, mm-hmm. they would have gone extremely high. They look like the kind of team that's just going to dominate. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a 
you know, they fit that, um, you know, they're fit guys. They're relatively young. They're in good shape. They have a strong bond. And yet this is like the opposite of having a team like a Victor and a Jocelyn come in that you think are not going to be powerhouses. And then they get two first place finishes in a row. This is the opposite of that. We think this is a team that looks like it's going to get many first places in a row. And yet every week they show some fallibility. Like mm-hmm. they show some, some mortal trait that is going to screw with their game. Yeah. And I think if the season arc is Joe and Ian kind of clawing their way out of the bottom over and over because they are somewhat messy racers. I think that could be really fun to watch. Yeah. Personality wise, uh, you know, they're very different. And so I think that that's a Mm -hmm. fun part of their story, but it did seem like that when they got to the plastic task, I think it was, was it Joe that had like done this type of task before Ian? No, so seen it happen before. Okay. All right. So they've came in uh, kind of confident about their ability. Yeah, I mean, I think it's understandable when you look on paper for plastic and you're like, oh, do this vinyl thing. This is something I've at least experienced tangentially versus I've never made rice paper before. But I think we saw from like Joel's perspective uh, that you can apply a lot of your experience to something that you have never done before. So it really works both ways from that perspective. Mm hmm. Okay. All right. Then after Joe and Ian, uh, we had Greg and John, who they're a team that, you know, this was a down week for them after two third place finishes uh, the first two weeks. Uh, They dropped down to eighth place this week. Yeah. And it was two things. It was the difficulty of navigating the market, in particular, again, the no left turn screwing them over and their driver taking them to the marketplace at times where there would be a bunch of boats in front of them. So that would just waste time. And then them struggling on the rice paper. They were able to get it above Victor and Jocelyn, but still they finished basically behind both of the other vinyl teams. They finished ahead of Greg and John sort of in that pack. And so it was a bit of a stumbling block for them. Uh, We didn't see a rise out of them though. I know Greg talked about practicing mindfulness and everything like that. So I don't think they're going to be the Joey and Ian-esque bickering back and forth. It seems like both of our pairs of brothers this season are like Mm -hmm. very zen, even in the sense of danger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't think they're going to spiral either. I think they'll bounce back in the back half of uh, this mega leg. Um, But let's talk about Andrea and uh, uh, Milena, who, you know, I... Honestly, like this was kind of a surprise that they end up finishing here in ninth place. It looked like that things were really going to go poorly for them. Uh, They were faced with this interesting decision, uh, similar to what we saw with Elizabeth and Elena from earlier, where, okay, only five teams could be making the patties at the same time. And they said, we're going to wait it out. Uh, And ultimately, they got there and they paid attention and they kind of aced it. They did extremely well. And I think I think similarly, like the story of Andrea and Moena is we think they're always on the verge of getting eliminated, but they are resourceful and quick studies and able to save themselves. Uh, but I think it's worth interrogating this decision a little bit because I'm not sure, like given what we know about the tasks, I'm not sure this was the right call for them. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. I I wanna I wanna weigh the options because I'm saying I'm not sure. I'm not saying it wasn't the right call. I think we can be a little results oriented here and say they did really well at the rice paper. They knew what they were going to be good at. 
But I think at the point where they know they have to wait for another team to finish, again, we know that the other task is like right next door. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of harm in going over and seeing what that looks like while Mm. you're waiting for the other one to start. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I could see at least checking it out, but I ultimately do side with what they did, not even because of the results oriented behavior, but because. Yes, you have to wait for another team to finish, but you can directly see in front of you how the other teams are doing. That's true. Like, yeah. Rob, Rob and Corey seem like they were pretty much done. So it's like, okay, we don't have to wait for that long. It's not like what happened with the massage where it's like, we have no idea. It's going to be at, you know, maximum 30 minutes, maybe even longer if teams pull a Todd and bow out. Plus, as they mentioned, they got so much visual experience yeah. just watching the demonstration over and over and over again, the exact opposite of what Greg and John did. Yeah, I wonder if this could be like an update to the JL rules of like, do you wait or do you go? Like, uh, can you see how the other teams are doing the task? And can you be like using that time to gain information or are you going to be sitting there blindly like the people that were going through the massage yeah. a couple of episodes ago? Yeah, I think it's, it's I, I think the question is how much of the task can you see? Like, because mm-hmm. you you know from we we know that they don't always know all of the particulars of what the task is at the point where they get the detour and they're supposed to choose and then once they opt for a detour they're given more information about what they're supposed to be doing but right. in this case you can very clearly see what everybody is up to and how long it's taken them how much progress they make over time and what the actual nature of the project is I think at this point, it's a really good call to stick it out where they are. But at the same time, if they have a few minutes and they like if they get there and everybody else has just started, there's not a lot of harm in checking out what the other one is. I think at this point, they were far. They knew they were going to be there was going to be not that much time before they were able to get a station. OK, yeah. I, I love Andrew and Malena. I feel like they've really faded into the background, though. I feel like they popped so much in that first episode. Now, maybe it's because they were in the front of the pack and then they fell to the back of the pack that we saw much more of them. But I feel like their strongest moment this episode was like Milena's uh, catchphrase out of towners as she was crossing the road to the travel agency. I feel like they've become so purple for the pink team. Pink. Uh, yeah. yeah, it saddens me a little bit. And, you know, I don't find it necessarily surprising that they maintain this position in the back of the pack. We talked about this in the first episode of like, listen, they may be here for a good time, not a long time. I'm not sure what it is because, like, they left the rice paper, I think, in a pretty good position. And then they finish in ninth place. Is it a transit thing? Is it that they're less athletic? And so, like, other people might beat them to the mat? I'm not entirely sure. Okay. We'll find out on the back half of this leg. Uh, let's talk about Jocelyn and Victor. Our fr- that Phil had to rub it in their faces of, like, well, you ruined your record. You were... <laughs> You were vying for history to be the first team to come in first every leg of the race. But now that's over. Uh, I love them so much. I was so sad for them. But they never get angry with each other that uh, they are relationship goals. Uh, I mean, it's actually one of Dan Heaton's favorite Amazing Race archetypes is like is the contestant that really is at a five all the time, emotionally speaking. Mm-hmm. Like, no matter what is going on around them, they just react to it the exact same way. And if they're feeling differently, they'll just say they're feeling differently. And I think Victor sort of fits this mold. He's like, I'm a little bit stressed out right now. Yeah, I love them. I wish they were yeah. my friends. Uh, this is like, uh, I, they're, they're incredible. 
Well, if you lived on the West Coast, Rob, you could take a hop, skid, or a jump to like, I think they're from Albuquerque. You know, it's right around the corner. Uh, I guess stop so. By their, yeah. Stop by their grocery store. No one else in Albuquerque? Listen, I think, thank my God. Bugs Bunny? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think uh, they made definitely made the right turn there. I think that with and no left turns. It's just a saying, though. I think unlike that archetype, they got a little snippy with each other mm-hmm. with the rice paper. I heard a little bit of snark there with Victor trying and then Jocelyn tried and him being like, see, it's not as easy as it looks <laughs> like there were there were fringes there. And they talked about this in the opening leg, right? How it might be difficult to like see their relationship in a brand new way from a romantic perspective as opposed to a work perspective. Almost feels like they were regarding each other as co-workers here. But again, it didn't verge on like anything nasty or toxic in my opinion. But it was a really interesting way to see them just because this is something that we see in reality TV all the time. A front runner gets humbled and we see how they react. They weren't exactly spiraling in the way that Morgan and Lena were, even though it does seem like Jocelyn kind of freaked out a bit you know jocelyn's like oh it's all over as soon as they get the clue they were able to survive by the skin of their teeth or rice paper and i do have faith that they're going to be able to catch up it was just one of those amazing race legs where like a bunch of bad things stacked up and the fact that they came out of it without shedding tears over it i think that bodes well for their future performance uh i want to give a shout out to the to the pen that jocelyn had with her did you see this she they were in the travel agency office and she pulls out this pen that's it's like one of those ones you'd have in fifth grade that writes in eight colors. Oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. I love like those. We gave those out at my son's birthday party. Is that the weekend. reason why you thought this episode took place in 2006 originally? Because she had the multicolored pen at the ready? I mean, it, it was certainly it helped to contribute to the early aughts ambiance for sure. Mm hmm. Yeah, but that's a smart that's a smart writing utensil to bring with you on the Amazing Race because you can color code your notes, you can do all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff with that. Okay, uh, and then ultimately, Liam and Jeremy. What's what's wrong with Liam and Jeremy? What's going on? Like this is on paper, this team should be dominating the Amazing Race. Again, it's another case. It's another Joe and Ian case of like this team would have been drafted very, very early. Yeah, in draft like they're and- nice guys. They get along. They're not fighting, and it's just not working. Well, so they wound up in the back of the pack for the first two legs, and basically, if you were guaranteed a back of the pack spot in the first leg, same thing for the second leg. This time, they ended up grabbing you know the last grouping. It seemed like they got held up by just a lot of blockades that were happening at the market, and then they took the more arduous detour task. So it really was just like a series of downsliding bad decisions. I I do feel bad saying this because they do seem like two very pleasant gentlemen. I'm very happy their relationship has obviously uh, prospered a lot more than it has before. For many reasons, I was kind of wishing this was an elimination like, because these guys are kind of the definition right now of like, go boy, give us nothing. <laughs> You know, here's what I loved about them, though. I mean, apart from they have the best hair we have seen on oh, the Amazing yeah. Race since maybe Chuck and Winona. They're beautiful men. They're incredibly beautiful. <laughs> Good men. looking guys. Yeah. Yeah. But I loved I, I found their complete lack of self-awareness entertaining. Mm. I loved that they had no idea what place they were in and they were kind of not bothered by it at all. And I think part of this was probably when they're exiting the task, they see Victor and Jocelyn right next to them. That probably suggested to them they were doing a lot better than they actually were. But they're like, yeah, we did a great job on this task. You know, go us. 
And then they check in and they're completely gobsmacked when Phil's like, yeah, you're in dead last. Mm. <gasps> Surprise. Yeah. But Surprise. Phil, Phil like gave him a pep talk. He's like, hey, nothing, nothing saying that you can't end up in first place in this leg of the race. Like, uh, I, I guess, like mathematically, it's anything's possible, Phil. He can bunch everybody again. Don't sell false hope to like, hey, you're in the, you, you, yes, you are in last place, but in this same leg of the race that everybody is still racing on, you could potentially pass 10 teams. Is this like a post tough as nails, Phil attitude that he's like, you're not out of it yet. You're still in contention for that belt. Liam and Yeremy, you don't give up. Wait until that work whistle blows. That's when you stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We did see Phil riding the moped. That was pretty tough as nails. Yeah, well, it needed to be towing like a giant trailer full of cargo. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's that's why we love Phil as the amazing race host. So I think John Montgomery has kind of like eclipsed him in getting super involved in the tasks and showing them off. But like, you can never beat the original flavor Coke. And I'll always remember season 14. They were in Russia. There was a detour option where they had to run like in their skivvies. In the yes. cold weather, mm -hmm. And Phil did it all and showed it all a uh, nice looking watermelon in a manner of speaking. Okay. Uh, so I, I think that he show he has been the, the litmus test, I think for like how far hosts are, have gone to demonstrate the culture of these countries to people. Okay. I will say, I think John Montgomery has raised the bar a little bit because we did see, I think there were quite a few seasons in there where Phil was just doing like a stand up, yeah. and wouldn't be like he could be green screening it for all we care. And now he's actually a little bit more hands on. And then, of course, you have Bo Ryan, who's just like having a party wherever he's at. Yeah. John Montgomery, every time there was a bungee jump, he would do the bungee jump. Yes. Wow. Um, Not for me. <laughs> OK. All right. There you go. Uh, that's week three of The Amazing Race. Uh, next week, we'll pick it up with the back half of this leg through Vietnam. Anything jump out from the preview for next time? It's hard to say. It, it seems like more of the same, honestly, but mm -hmm. we'll see what, what they come up with. I mean, we always get a fun, amazing race task for good TV. Speaking of tough as nails tasks, the live eels seem to make a return here. Okay. And there seems to be something that causes Morgan and Lena to become undone. Now, I do think whether it's going to be the tasks or maybe another hours of operation, like I think we still might see a bit more shifting in teams. We did have a couple groups of teams arrive at the mat at the same time. But I do think to your point about the words of encouragement to Liam and Jeremy, I got to imagine it's either them. I would imagine Andrea Malena uh, or maybe even like if Greg and John continue to screw up, they might be the bomb there. Jocelyn and Victor, yeah. I, think they, we have I think they have, I think they still have much more to go. I think they're going to be able to regain their head or Morgan and Lena can keep on spiraling to the point where like they completely crash out of the race. But I think Liam and Jeremy right now are just like, hoping to get ahead of one team and mm -hmm. they have an entire other back half of the leg to do so. Okay. See, cynically, I feel like if we saw a team struggling in the preview, it's the same thing like if you see a team struggling before the commercial break. Mm. I feel like that's going to end up meaning nothing because they wouldn't just, they wouldn't just shoot their wad, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> there you have it. All right. Um, Jess, what's coming up for you? Ah, uh, well, it's the final week of The Walking Dead, Daryl Dixon. Yeah. And well, that came I away pretty believe. quick. Yeah. Yeah. It was so quick, but it's so good. And we're having so much fun talking about it. And so I think the full panel will be with us on Post Show Recaps. We're going to be recording that a little bit later in the week. 
And then we're going to put that to bed. And then I get about a week and a half of Yadis before Fear the Walking Dead starts back up. And there's really like final the zombies. Season? Yeah, final season. Yeah. Um, return of some of the old villains from the from the era when you were still paying attention. Oh, Rob, my so. God. Like who? Apparently, Troy Otto is going to be the main antagonist of this final season half. Okay. And uh, I guess that's okay. I thought we saw him get his head crushed in with a farm implement of some sort before getting thrown into a pit of zombies. But apparently on Free the Walking Dead, you can come back from that. So, mm-hmm. Ah, well, it is often coming back from the dead. Yep, it, it is. like Much like the zombies on this show, this franchise will never die. And mm-hmm. I will be covering it over on Post Show Recaps for the rest of my life. And <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, great job today, Jess. Uh, and then Mike? Plenty of stuff. Uh, I, I guess I'm also in a prison of my own making in the form of CBS Reality TV, which keeps on humming. We're at critical mass at this moment for a choice few weeks where we have Survivor, Big Brother, Amazing Race, Challenge USA, all happening at once. No buddy games for you, Mike? Buddy games is a little bit of like an after dinner mint. Mm -hmm. Uh, Occasionally when I'm like, uh, you know, when they put it on that eight o'clock hour, I'll catch like the last 15 minutes of buddy games, which listen, I watched last week's episode. Like oftentimes that's the best part of the episode. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I'm covering that all in various forms. Of course, I'm doing exit press for all four shows over at parade.com. Obviously no exit interview this week for the amazing race, but I'll be talking with the most recent person voted out of survivor. I believe we should still be talking with uh, the first jury member of Big Brother 25 and, of course, the people eliminated from the Challenge USA going into the final. And then in podcast form, I was on the B&B this week covering a really fun episode of Survivor with a really fun guest and an Amazing Race winner who we saw but a couple weeks ago. Nice. Claire Refuse came on. She brought the fireworks, literally, uh, and she gave some behind-the-scenes info about her appearance on The Amazing Race 35. That was really fun. So feel free to check that out. Leon and I will be uh, with Beth Dixon this weekend talking about episode three. And you can follow everything I do out there on the interwebs at a Mike Bloom type. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Everything that we've got going on for all of these shows is available for you to subscribe to for free at robhasawebsite.com slash subscribe. Uh, thanks for joining us. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.